What's going on, FCS football fans? Welcome to the FCS Opening Drive podcast presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. I am David Hasek, and to my left, the czar of the playbook, Emery Hunt. Emery, good morning, sir. Good morning, sir. How's it going for you? This fine, nice weather morning here in late it, September. It is finally autumn. It is fall. It is football weather. It's starting to feel like it. Mid-60s here in the Northeast today. Hopefully we're not dealing with too much rain up here. By the way, shout out to GMEB Music for the new beat for the beginning here, but let's get back to the football field, Emery, because, I mean, first of all, (laughs) I got a feel for the Packers, man. I I mean, Matthews, what is he supposed to do? Hey, man. Two weeks in a row, he's literally wrapped up the quarterback in the way that they told him to wrap up the quarterback, and he's gotten a penalty for it. Is this a vendetta at this point? I think so. It's I mean, gotta it's, it got to be, man. Well, at least college football has its own version of that with the targeting rule, with kicking guys out of games. Yeah, that right there. Like, it's not even uh, whatever. Anyway, folks, if you want to listen back on any of our podcasts, you can do so at SoundCloud or on iTunes. Just search football game plan in the podcast section and make sure to subscribe subscribe while you're over there so you don't miss a thing coming off of where uh, off of Emory stuff for the NFL. NCAA, whatever you're into, he's got it there. You can also find that on footballgameplan.com, and you can also go to youtube.com slash footballgameplan. We've got a lot to cover, Emery, so let's get into week four, because week four was crazy. I mean, pure insanity from the standpoint of if you're into into the business of making predictions, you probably didn't look too good, because I know both of us, at least I didn't. I don't know about... Um, Oh, I blew a big one. I, I thought uh, <laughs> Delaware was going to pull off the upset against North Dakota State, but... Never, never doubt the Bison. Didn't you quite go the, according to plan. We should have. We should know this by now. Between you, you had the Robert Morris thing. Last year was me with San Diego. Now you're... Anyway, folks, let's get into some of the games, some of the shocks that did happen, and we're going to start with easily one of the biggest upsets of the weekend, and that was Princeton against Monmouth. 51 to 9 Princeton. No one. Show me someone who had a blowout that big for the Ivy Leaguers going up to Monmouth. This was this was over by halftime pretty much and absolutely they shut him out for the last 3 quarters. Princeton is clicking on all cylinders and everybody in the Ivy should be very very afraid. Well, what's interesting is that this game, first of all, it was the first time these two teams have met in history. Which I found shocking because yeah, very. you would think you know local teams would have played each other by now, but the only two FCS teams in Jersey, number one, and on the second play, no, the first play of the game, Pete Guerrero, the running back of Mammoth, breaks off a seventy-one yard run, and you're thinking, oh, okay, this is going to be a good ball game, or Mammoth's going to dominate, and and then you saw Princeton's defense tighten up a bit, and on the flip side, their offense was so it, it, I don't want to say it was simple. But it was simplistic in its attack. It was up-tempo. They didn't do anything fancy. They literally beat Monmouth up front. Yeah. Along the offensive line and out on the perimeter. So this was a, an, an impressive performance. And I felt like they could have kept scoring if the game was another quarter. Like This game, oh, yeah. Monmouth could not keep up with the pace, with the speed, with the athleticism, and the different ways they were able to attack them you know, from uh, of Princeton, so they could not keep up with this Tigers offense, and we were we were looking at this in the booth because I did the radio broadcast on this game. Um, me and Eddie Acapente, who's Mama's, uh radio guy and play by play guy on their video, just like 
my goodness. Yeah. Princeton looks good. Like if Princeton isn't ranked in the top 25, it's going to be a, it's a it's a problem because yeah. that's how good they look and this is back to back 50 point games for Princeton. And that's the first time they've done that in 132 years. You have to go back to 1886. Wow. Was the last time they opened up with 50 plus games when they beat Stevens Institute not once but twice. They did it two of them on back to back weeks. So shout out to Stevens Institute wherever that is or whatever they are now. I'm, I'm guessing <laughs> that's now Stevens Tech or something. I, Isn't that right out here in Jersey? It's somewhere. I, I, I think it's it the same school. It might be Jersey City. Yeah, it yeah. might be a Weehawk or wherever it is. All they do now is lacrosse. Anyway, <laughs> on to the next game here. Just as big of an upset, if not a bigger one in most people's eyes, North Carolina A&T. Now, we had said going into this week, they haven't clicked on all cylinders. You know, they've they've won games. They've been undefeated. They haven't looked great doing so. But we did. None of us thought that the team that was going to trip them up was Morgan State. But it happened sixteen thirteen to the Bears. What happened? <laughs> Man, that was the upset of upsets because that's the one where we, we all kind of glossed over. Oh, completely. And, and the crazy part is that when you look at North Carolina A&T, it's always about their running game, efficient yeah. passing attack, great defense. To be quite honest. Lamar Raynard has struggled mightily this year. Oh, that's putting it mildly. Yeah, and and so they have to go with Carter. I think Carter is probably the better guy out the two, which is weird because Raynard is coming off of a MEAC Offensive Player of the Year season, but he has struggled big time this year. Yeah. Like throwing interceptions, being careless with the football. The offense, like you said, has sputtered. And credit to Morgan State. Defense, run game, special teams. Their, their passing game is still a work in progress, but those other elements, they were able to out A&T, A&T, en route to the victory. I mean, you, you talked about it. So it was 4 of 15 for two picks in this game before they finally said, no, 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 that's enough, and they went to Carter. How much of this, is it complacency for North Carolina A&T, do you think? Is it like, is you know, coming off their incredible season last year, going undefeated, winning the Celebration Bowl? Is it that complacency in the offseason, do you think? Or, like, where is this coming from? Well, it can't be complacency because they knocked off Jacksonville State and they knocked off East Carolina, both in impressive fashions coming back and fighting through adversity. I think they just got dominated in this game. I mean, whatever it is, it's not a good look, but it's a great win for Morgan State. Quality victory for that program. And, you like, let's move on to another one that was a massive upset Again, usually the FBS versus FCS games are over. There was another one this week, and it was a dominant win for Illinois State. And you've been high on them the last couple weeks since the season started. They beat Colorado State 35-19. Uh, 35-19. The, the Redbirds are for real, and the Missouri Valley better recognize. They didn't. They, I don't think they trailed in this game. No, I don't think so. And, and so to talk about dominating from start to finish and really putting Colorado State in a situation where they have to fight back to well, Colorado, tie. Colorado State won lead after the first quarter, 6 nothing. After that, it was all bulldozed. Illinois State. And so we saw this, I want to say, last year when they beat Northwestern. Yeah. So it's interesting how Illinois State is able to go out there and compete pound for pound and dominate a Big Ten team and now this year a Mountain West team. Both of those teams are built the same way. Yeah. Uh, Colorado State and Illinois State play essentially the same game. So credit to the Redbirds and, and Coach Brock's back for going out there and and really dominating the Rams. And I'm a big Mike Bobo fan of Colorado State, but that was a huge loss for that program. But credit 
Illinois State, they're undefeated. Yeah. And now they have an impressive non-conference FBS win. This is not beating Akron or someone like that. They beat Colorado State. That's a recognizable name. By the way, you notice how the Finding Illini are not putting them on their schedule? I wonder why that is. Of course not. What, what, would, what would the reasoning behind <laughs> that one be, Emery? Let's move on to our next game here, and let's move down to the south. We talked about Sam Houston State, perennial top five power program. They haven't lived up to expectations. They had a good chance of doing that. Now they're into conference play where the defenses are notoriously weak. The only team that was weak here was Sam Houston State. Nichols wins 27-7. to is Sam Houston State done for after this game? Because they are looking the complete opposite from what they were last year. Well, history is on their side. I saw catfans.com, shout out to the fine people over there, tweet out um, a, re- a reminder saying that, hey, this team started out 1-2 and two before. The last time they did it, they ended up running the table and getting to the FCS championship game against North Carolina. I'm sorry, North Carolina. Against North Dakota State. So it has happened before. However, this is a different team, and this is a different quarterback, and this is a different passing game. I don't think Mike Dare strikes the fear of Jesus in the eyes of defenders <laughs> that we've seen um, the previous Bearcat quarterbacks do in this offense. And because of that, you're seeing teams play them a little bit differently defensively, which is why they haven't had the success. You know, we saw them lose to North Dakota. We just saw them lose right here to Nichols. Prairie View gave them a game and probably should have beaten them in that game. Yeah, it's a shock that Prairie View lost the game at this point, the way that both teams have started. Exactly. So maybe you're right. Maybe this isn't the same Bearcat team that we've used to, we're used to seeing. It's just it's just shocking to me to see how bad they've looked. Normally when they lose, it's a shootout. This was domination by Nichols and credit coach Tim Rebo. And like I've said before, if Coach Rebo knows anything, it's defensive backs and secondary play. And that was huge in this ball game. They really put the clamps down on that passing game of, of Sam Houston State. And Nichols did a great job in rebounding from last week's loss to McNeese because we said this on the show previously where, you know, this could be a situation where a team could allow one loss to become two. They didn't. They treated it as one week. They started out 0-0 zero and zero in this ball game, and they were able to come away with the victorious, uh, vic- come away victorious in a huge conference win. I mean, seeing Sam Houston State 75th in the, in the FCS in passing yards and eighty and 93rd in yards per game, that's not normal, and that's going to have to turn around really, really quick. They got Central Arkansas at home this week. That's a that's almost a must-win for them now. Let's move on to our, our favorite governors of Austin P. We've been singing their praises. We're thinking, okay, this is, you know, they're finally, they've built a program. They're going to keep going. And just when we think they, we can believe in them again, they fall flat on their face. UT Martin, of all teams, 37-7 to over Austin P. Completely unexpected. I was more shocked by the defense or lack thereof here by Austin P. Mm-hmm. I thought that's where they were going to be the strongest this year. And UT Martin really had their way with that defense. And granted, their offense didn't help them out. Uh, they didn't sustain drives. They didn't put points up on the board, obviously. But the governor's defense really is shocking. You, you know, this was a team that was stout defensively last year and had complementary offense. And you expected this year the offense would take a next step and defense would still be stout and dominant. And it hasn't happened. Now they find themselves this week in what could be possibly a must-win game. And uh, obviously it, it was a re- it was an even game for the first half, pretty back and forth, really good defensive battle. 
Kickoff to start the second half. Peyton Logan goes 75 yards for Tennessee Martin, and that just go, it looked like it completely deflated the team. They then go on a long drive. They get a, a nice 10-yard run from uh, from Bo. This one, it looked like they got shell shocked early in the third quarter and just couldn't recover. So we'll see how Austin Peay does though in their next game. One more game we want to talk about here, folks. Again, we could have picked about a dozen games here that are just like, how is this happening right now? Uh, we'll get to a couple of those that we'll mention. But Chattanooga versus Sanford. We said this was going to be a, a telling game to see how real Chattanooga was, number one, but to see how much trouble Sanford is in. The answer is. Both. Chattanooga 27-20 over Samford. They're now 4-0 Chattanooga. The mocks seem to be right back where they where they belong. Samford, though, Devlin Hodges is not getting any help, and they are quickly falling into a hole. Well, a lot of that is self-inflicted. He has to stop turning the ball over, if we're being completely honest. Mm-hmm. The last three games, we've seen his interception numbers just kind of stay steady. Like, you can't turn the ball over against good teams. We saw that against Florida State. We saw it against Mercer, and now we just saw it against Chattanooga. And credit the Mox, 4-0 right now, playing great football. We said this earlier that, you know, this was a team that was injured last year in Coach Art's first year. Right. Got healthy. Now they have balance. Nick Tiano is playing phenomenal quarterback play. Really good running game they have. Defensively, they're turning the ball over. Um, Their secondary is excellent. May arguably be the best in the SoCon, Chattanooga is playing some real strong football, and they look good right now in the FCS. They look solid. Where do we go from here, though, Emory? Because I mean, there were again there were scores all over the place. You had the Citadel beating Mercer, thirty-eight thirty-one after Mercer had that you know marquee win. Stetson is three and zero in in the Pioneer. They beat Maris nineteen fourteen. Howard beat Bethune Cookman forty-one thirty-five. <laughs> Yale barely got past Cornell thirty to twenty-four. What what do we where do we go from here? Because I mean, again, like I said at the start of the show, if you're in the job of predicting games, you're having a really bad year. What what is this going to finish when the dust finally settles? We're only a quarter of the way in, and it's already chaos. The only division or conference that's looking correct to me uh, from what we've seen over the last couple of years is probably the Big Sky. Because yeah. you have Eastern yeah. Washington, Weaver State, Montana all at the top. UC Davis. UC is Davis back. is right there. Sacramento State's playing some solid football. Northern Arizona, we understand that they have an injury. So that's why they're kind of. And the they won of the pack. this week. They won this week. And Idaho State, you know, again, bouncing back. They're 2 and 1. So <laughs> the big sky to me is the only one that's looking legit. Big South, too. It's different because you have Kennesaw State at everybody, the top. I think everybody still had Kennesaw, Kennesaw at the top of this year, but they thought Mammoth was going to be that's close. A, that's the flip-flop because yeah. you have Mammoth and now Campbell, who looks strong yeah. in that yeah. uh, conference, the CAA, that we talked about that last week, Rhode Island. There is no favor in the CAA Exactly. Right it's all up for grabs. Stony Brook, um, Towson. Towson. I was shocked that Elon doing what they did this past week, and they haven't even jumped into conference play yet. Nova. And and then, like, the teams that are being forgotten in the CAA are Delaware and Richmond. <laughs> Richmond and New Hampshire. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> like, so, it's like, what is happening? What is going on? I mean, if we keep going, you look at the Ivy League right now, they're two weeks in, but Yale already had a loss, already has a loss, uh, and Princeton looks like a legit top 25 team in the FCS. In the MEAC, you brought up Howard knocking up Bethune-Cookman. I thought that was huge. Because now with A&T's loss, now here's where it gets interesting and tricky. (laughs) Because A&T has a a loss, a conference loss at that. Yeah. So if you're Norfolk State, if you're Howard, 
Uh, heck, if you're Morgan State or Central, even Bethune-Cookman. Florida A&M Florida is 1-0. A&M quietly is 1-0. So not only do you put yourself in the mix, and maybe this is a good thing for A&T, because not only do you put yourself in the mix in the MEAC to perhaps win, let's say if Norfolk State runs the table, which I, I am a big fan of Coastal Trail Scott, they go to the Celebration Bowl. I see what you're A&T thinking. goes to the playoffs. I see what you're – so you're saying that was an intentional loss to Morgan State. I don't State. say it was an intentional <laughs> loss. Morgan State beat beat them soundly. And shout out to Morgan State because I'll be there this weekend – oh, next weekend for the uh, homecoming game. I'll be the broadcaster on the homecoming game against South Carolina State, uh, which is an intriguing matchup because they get Fred Ferrier back uh, in that building. Fred Ferrier used to be the head coach at Morgan State last year. He's now the OC at South Carolina State. But the MEAC is – kind of up for grabs now and if you're A&T yeah. you kind of you, maybe you kind of hope that okay we can run the table but I hope somebody else goes undefeated and goes to the Celebration Bowl you look at the Missouri Valley Bison obviously and Illinois State Illinois State South Dakota State so that one kind of looks but shout out to the Sycamores that one kind of looks like you know Northern Iowa is, is the one that's that, that was shocking in Youngstown State and West so it's, maybe you have some Sacred Hartley's in the NEC. In a big way. They look dominant. They <laughs> look the, like Princeton. <laughs> like, the, the, the two words I would say for anybody who's like, what did we learn through the first four weeks of the season? Buckle up. Yeah. Because every single week is going to be a roller coaster. Something or, in this case, multiple things are going to happen. Then you're going to be like, pause. Wait. That <laughs> Why? I mean, uh, Furman is 0-3. That is shocked. Furman is 0-3. Eastern Kentucky has got a winning record. Again, and again, Southeast Missouri State, who nobody saw coming. Stony Brook just crushed Richmond. East Tennessee State looks good. What? what? <sighs> there are only losses to Tennessee. Yeah. <laughs> like, where, where is it all coming from? With that being said, we got some game balls to give out. Emery, go ahead and start us off. Who's your first one to give out to for week four? Offensive game ball, I'm going to give it to the Princeton wide receivers. And it's two mm-hmm. of them. It's Jesper Horstead and Steven Carlson. Those two combined for 19 receptions, 329 yards, and five touchdowns. It was a two-man show. And then I think there was like one other guy who had like two catches or something like that. He got his name in the, in the newspaper. <laughs> so like, Horstead had one play against Tamir Berry, the number one corner for Mammoth, where it was a deep ball. He was able to concentrate, make the contested catch, keep his balance, and outrace everybody to the end zone for an 80-yard touchdown reception and he's on the senior bowl watch list Carlson you mentioned before the show that this guy is going to start to get some looks as well and he's 6'4 225 and we talk about what he was doing all game long they were essentially playing high posts like run a stop route here's the ball body him up catch the ball away from from your body and they did that all the way down the field. They were channeling their inner Randy Moss on that, exactly. on that game. Just like, yeah, just throw me the ball. I'm open. It, it you- was ridiculous. It was <laughs> There was nothing Mammoth could do to, to, to uh, combat that because you have John Lovett back there, quarterback, yeah. and he's going to take off and run. But he also looked impressive throwing the football. And yeah. now you see a guy that has the mobility, obvious, and now he's taking those necessary steps as a passer. This offense is going to be serious moving forward. Well, you went with a pair of players. I'm going to go with a pair of players from the same, from a uh, different game, but they were playing against each other on opposite sides. And I had to do a double-take to make sure both of these guys weren't running backs because it certainly looked like it. Elijah Dotson, the running back from Sacramento State, and the quarterback, Dalton Sneed from Montana, <laughs> both went off in their game against each other. Dotson, only a sophomore, by the way, 30 carries for 234 and three touchdowns. But Sneed's like, 
Okay, I can do that with a better average. 16 carries, 206 for three touchdowns. Both had incredible games. It, I mean, th- this game as a whole was just a complete and utter shootout. It was great to watch. Montana gets the victory 41-34 in a real tight ball game. But both of those players deserve recognition. Defensive players of the week. Obviously, you know I love team awards, and I couldn't give it to one team because there were about three different <laughs> shutouts. Yeah. But JMU's defense, the shutout of William & Mary, I thought was impressive. But yep. player of the week, I have to go atone for my mistake, the North Dakota State game. Jabril Cox with a pick six. You know, he kind of got yep. things rolling out there, and they really dominated Delaware. That was shocking to me. I thought Delaware – by the way of their offense and how good they are defensively, being able to match up, they were going to have a chance to beat North Dakota State. Obviously didn't happen. Defense was dominant in that ball game. Um, They really shut down Delaware's ability to run and also throw. And I was real happy to see Jabril Cox get that pick six. So that was my defensive player of the week. And I've got one more game ball to give out, and it's very rare that we give one out to a player that lost the ball game. But we got to give a shout-out to the sophomore quarterback from VMI, Reese Uditsky, who threw 43 for 72. 72 pass attempts at VMI. For, for 491 and four touchdowns, and they lost the game by only two to Western Carolina. But you're, the key debts are throwing? Why? Western Carolina, who's what? Undefeated in conference right now? Barely slips by with a against, like I don't think they were expecting VMI to actually be a problem. And, well... Shout out, shout out to VMI. 72 pass attempts in the game. That's usually six games worth for VMI, right? <laughs> for any military academy, <laughs> right. except, except Air Force, because they're weird. And I um, I have to give a special teams game ball to Alex Rea, the kicker for Morgan State. Three field goals, all were needed to knock off North Carolina A&T, including a 51-yarder. So, running game. Offensive line, defense, and now special teams for Morgan State. Rhea stepped up big time in that ball game. They needed all of those nine points to win. Yeah. And to hit a 51, You, we joke all the time <laughs> about college kickers. Yeah. 51 yards is impressive, and that was huge in that game. You couldn't get any bigger uh, than making all your kicks against North Carolina A&T. And there were articles this week talking about, hey, A&T should be ranked number one. Mm. Some they got some first place votes in the top twenty five. More than JMU, I don't think that's going to be the case of this no. week when the polls come out. Just, just grand opening, grand closing. <laughs> let's move. Let's move into uh, into more of our analysis here, Emery. And we talked. We mentioned the Ivy League. We mentioned how you know they're now two weeks in. Um, all the eyes this year were on Yale once again after their dominant performance last season on Columbia, who had all those young players who came back. The program literally has come back from the dead. But it seems like there's another power shift going on, and it involves, we mentioned the Princeton Tigers and Dartmouth. Both of these teams have looked very, very good. Let's start with Princeton. We talked about their offense. 50-plus points in the first two games. Coach Sir Race, has got, he's got something in that Gatorade, and I don't know what it is, but I want some of it because they are just going off on anybody they play, and it starts with John Lovett. What makes him so special? Well, the fact that he's the quintessential 11-on-11 player. Yeah. You know, he's the quarterback that can run. And we always talked about his athleticism. Two, 2016 uh, Bushnell Cup Award winner, uh, 20 rushing touchdowns, 10 touchdown passes, only one interception. So we knew he was – that's why I called him the FCS Tim Tebow, a guy that you knew can run. 
and was kind of inconsistent throwing the football. You still had to wait and see more. Well, now he's added touch to his deep ball. He's added accuracy in the short to intermediate area. He's making good decisions with the with the ball. Their offense is legit, and we can't forget about Charles uh, Volker, the running back, yep. track guy. So when you're trying to back off and, and give those guys on the perimeter some uh, space to read to read the coverage and, and, and really attack on the ball, you just left open lanes for Volker and Edie, the backup running back, who looked impressive in the game as well. They have a ton of speed. They can beat you in, in any facet they want to. And defensively, they're playing without Kurt Haluba, who was injured, uh, still suffering from a preseason injury. So even without their best pass rusher, they're still athletic. They're still fast. They're still aggressive. I was impressed with the secondary because um, normally they usually have a star back there. But this is just a solid unit across the board. No real standout. This team is complete. Yeah. And I was completely impressed. And in two games, they've only given up 16 points. Exactly. They have the 18th best defense in the country in FCS right now, which, again, you know, Ivy League teams are always solid. They're not that good. But we talk about defense. Let's talk about Dartmouth right now. They might have, at this at the quarter mark of the season, they might have the best defense in FCS. They are number one in total in yards per game, number one in yards allowed, um, number one in rushing yards allowed. Defensively, this team has been outstanding, but they also have some good offensive players. Keeler has looked very good in the beginning of this season. I like their receiver Honeycutt as well, too. He's a, yeah. a dynamic player. But you're right, defensively, Dartmouth is phenomenal. They're scary. Shut out in week one, or their week one, so that's what, week three. Yeah. Uh, they shut out. They, I forgot who they shut out, but they shut them out. This past week only gave up 14 points. So Dartmouth is usually – it's funny because nine times out of ten when you look at Dartmouth, okay – one year we're talking about how great their offense is. Another year we're talking about how great their pass rush is, how how many times they could get to the quarterback and turn the ball over. This year they're stout on both sides of the ball. Yeah. So they have solid enough offense, great defense. This These two teams, to me, are probably on a collision course for the Ivy title. Yeah. Yeah, you know, exactly. having uh, You know, I'll get a chance to see Columbia this weekend um, and, and Penn later on in the season. But I, I watched the Harvard and Brown game. You know, they, they, both of those quarterbacks are the same. I think they brought yeah. up in the broadcast, like, if you could just <laughs> yeah. switch uniforms, you have the same guy. Brown with a very impressive performance against Harvard, by the way. Didn't quit in that game. They didn't quit, and he came, they were coming back. I love their tight end, Anton Casey. Um, but Harvard doesn't look like the same Harvard that we used to see, you know, in years previous under Tim Murphy. Yeah. But credit to head coach Buddy Tevens for having his big green ready to play. And I – I noticed I followed a lot of Ivy teams on on Twitter, um, so you get to see what they're doing as far as like recruiting and cultivating yeah. talent. Dartmouth has done a great job in in identifying their guys, especially on the defensive side of the ball, because they've lost some studs over the last four years. Yeah, uh, like individual guys that have you know, Falloran Orimalade is up in the CFL playing great ball. Um, you know, so they've lost some key players on defense. Had a guy that had, uh, Vernon Harris was with the Chiefs uh, before he got injured right. at corner. So they got some dudes on defense. They're always going to have some dudes on defense. And I think the Big Green's defense is going to be the story this year, while Princeton's offense is obviously the early season story. So the, both of those teams just look phenomenal. And shout out to uh, defensive coordinator Don Dobbs at uh at Dartmouth, who's done an outstanding job. Outstanding. Um, and those two teams do meet on November the 3rd 
at Princeton. So that is going to be a... Is that a Friday or a Saturday? It's on the 3rd. I don't know what... It's November 3rd. What day is it? I don't know. I I thought you had a calendar. I'm sorry. (laughs) But what's interesting, though, about that game, too, is that for Princeton, at least, the week after that game, they're at Yale. So they and then they go to and then they finish with Penn. So they've got Dartmouth and Yale back to back weeks in November. Meanwhile, Dartmouth after this game, the preview to the Princeton game, they're home with Harvard. Wow. So it's a it's a and then before that game, they're get at home, at uh, Columbia. So both of these teams, like it's <laughs> one team is building into this game. The other one's got a massive game after that they can't forget about. It's going to be an absolute joy to watch these two teams play down the stretch. It's going to be fantastic. I'm glad we're seeing the Ivy League come up. Yeah. Like, we just talked about six teams. Yeah. You know, yeah. That, that are legit. Well, this is what happened last year. It was, uh, what, two weeks out and there were still six teams that could win the whole thing. Yep. Which leads to the question, why can't they be in the playoffs? Or have a bowl game. Something. Because I guarantee you, one, if not more than one of these teams would be playoff eligible, according to the committee, with what they do, and could make some noise in the tournament. With that being said, let's talk about some of the players that have made some noise, or in some cases, not made any noise at all. They've been they've turned into mice. The first quarter awards, we're going to go, got a couple different categories here. We're going to go back and forth. Let's start with the best team that we've seen so far. There's been some incredible performances, some of that have been out of nowhere, some we've expected. Who do you think is the best team right now in FCS? Now, I have to preface. This is not based off of top 25 or even our power poll that we're going to talk about later. Nope. This is just the best team that just looks legit. Yep. This season. And? To me, Colgate. Really? <laughs> now that, okay, I was expecting something out of a shock. Not that much of a shock from you. Colgate has looked outstanding. My second choice would have been McNeese. I've talked about them okay. pretty much all summer. But Colgate just looks really good this year. They have looked very impressive. I will give you that. So that, to me, has been the best team visually. Right. You know, I, I have to probably before Bison Nation jump in my mentions. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> North Dakota State is the number one team in the country, and they're good. But just from a just from a eye test, like, man, Colgate just jumps out at you. You, you think your Bison Nation is going to be mad at you. My best team right now, South Dakota State. Really? South Dakota State, for me, is the most complete team in FCS. They've got a top 10 offense. They also have a top 5 defense to go along with it, which in the Missouri Valley is crucial. That's surprising, too. Which is very surprising compared to what we've seen the last couple of years from, the, from South Dakota State. It's been more of a, let's put up 60 points and let's hope we can hold them to 40. Now they've got a defense together, and they these two they play the Bison this week, which could be just a, hell of a setup. Because North Dakota State, remember, lost that game last year. They lost to South Dakota State in the regular season before getting uh, a little revenge called the national championship. <laughs> and I think I believe this is back in the dome. So this is going to be a massive, massive game. But I think for me, South Dakota State, as I think they. If I if I am looking at these teams and you know not thinking about you know the structure and you know and the the legacy that these that North Dakota State has, if I'm a bookie and I'm looking at this game, South Dakota State is the favorite for me. Wow, I think it's very very it's almost a pick'em game, but I think South Dakota State is like a two point favorite for me. Well, uh, it's, it's interesting because you know going into the season when you talked about 
South Dakota State, you kind of yeah, I, I may have. Uh, no, under- no, I'm just saying, like you kind of. Oh, that, oh, I forgot about I may, that. I, may I, wasn't under- even, I wasn't even going there. <laughs> I may have underestimated them slightly. I, slightly. I, I wasn't even going there, but I'm glad you brought that up because yeah, you were really uh, out in front on uh, hating on South Dakota State. Forgive so me, I can't wait for Jack Rabbit Nation to jump in your mentions. Forgive me, uh, Father, for I have sinned. But I, but what I was gonna say was when you talked about South Dakota State in the preseason. It was all it was all about okay, how will they generate offense? We know they have Taron Christian. Right. They just lost Jake Winnikey. They just lost Dallas Goddard. Where are they gonna get their offense from? That and, and that's why I made the prediction that I did. I mm-hmm. didn't think there was enough around Tyron Christian for them to be successful. They they found a way. <laughs> they, they did. I think they found a way. Let's move on to the uh the first quarter awards for the Walter Payton Award, the most outstanding player. I've got a couple names on my list, but I want to hear who you have first. Who do you? Who is your right now? Your winner of the first quarter for the Walter Payton Award. I'll give you some some guys that are some leading candidates. Um, obviously, Taron Christian. Yep. For what he's done with South Dakota State, definitely. Jake Mayer. Yes. UC Davis definitely deserves to be on there. Nick Tiano of Chattanooga. Yep. And I'll give you two, uh, three under the radar guys that okay. have performed well that should be in the conversation. And we talk about this team all the time. Mm-hmm. You know I love Lex Vegas. <laughs> Wesley Duggar, the running back for Davidson. Yeah. Phenomenal, right? DeWanya Tucker. I had him as well. Of Prairie View A&M. And quiet as kept, Sheldon Epler of Northwestern State. Hmm. The demons right now are... <laughs> flying high? Or are they? They're 2-1 I mean, and one on the season. They won two in a row. Epler has thrown 10 touchdowns to zero picks. I like that ratio if I'm a coach. And they're one and only conference. They're third right now statistically behind Central Arkansas and McNeese. Can we say Northwestern State is a sleeper team right now in Southland? And if they are, Sheldon Epler is a big reason why. So shout out to him. I'm going to throw I, – I, I had a couple of the names that you mentioned there. I had DeWanya Tucker, who's been outstanding for a Prairie View team that has been one of the most – you know one of the great surprises of this season. They've been mm-hmm. outstanding. Tom Flacco. I'm going to throw into the conversation. The great quarterback name. from Towson. Great call. I like that. Eight touchdowns. He's almost thrown for 1,000 yards already. Another name that's not getting enough attention, Price Wilson, the quarterback from uh, that's, that's coming in from Bryant. He's thrown for 1,200 yards already and 13 touchdowns. So, and they needed all of those points. <laughs> and they need all the points, and they will need him, him down the stretch for sure uh, in, in terms of you know where they want to go here. But... I'm going to put Ryan Fulce up there as well from Wagner. That's a good one. He's had an outstanding season. Um, he's got five touchdowns at this point. He's made also made seven catches out of the backfield, so he's turned into a, a pretty complete running back in his senior season. I think he's got to be in the conversation, too, for that award. And you also got to put in some some guys like Easton Stick, you know, for his leadership. Joe Prothero. Prothero, you know, and also uh, Gubru from Eastern Washington. You know, you got to put him in the mix yeah. as well. And you also got to put in – um, for his play so far this season, having the FBS upset and Zach McNartzik of Villanova as well, too. He's been yep. playing some really great football. So there's a lot of guys, and I know Craig and, 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 and company really have to narrow this list down. Yep. They got some time, but there's a, a good bit of talent, offensively speaking, for this award. By the way, a name we didn't mention? Who? Keelan Doss. Ooh. But he's only got 264 yards receiving because – 
<laughs> for to his detriment, I think UC Davis has found more options on They're offense. They're spreading the ball around to make them a better team at three and one. So I think I don't think he minds nah. not getting as many touches. Let's move on to the uh, Buck Buchanan Award, the most outstanding decent defensive player. Who do you got on your list for the Buck Buchanan at this point? There's a bunch of guys, man. Uh, starting along the defensive line and talking about Colgate, Nick Wheeler, six and a half TFLs, four sacks, dominant so far this season. Yep. Chris, I'm going to mispronounce his name. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Craig, help us out. A-G-Y-E-M-A-N-G. So I'm going to say Ayemang from Sacred Heart. Mm. He's a leader in TFL so far this season. Seven and a half TFLs, five sacks. So he's been balling out. That's two defensive linemen. Linebackers, B.J. Blunt of McNeese State, phenomenal yep. player. Uh, Sterling Sheffield right now of Maine is playing great ball. And linebacker Quentin Moon of Western Illinois, 22 solo stops. Now, this is a team that lost Brett Taylor, who yep. tackled everything at Western Illinois. Yep. And to have a guy in Quentin Moon to step up and play big-time ball like that, I would say that's one to, to uh, that's impressive. A couple of names are going to add to that list there at the linebacker position. Dante Olson from Montana. He's got 55 tackles on the season. Wow. I'm surprised you didn't go – uh, Josh Buss from Montana. He's also on there. I mean, you could pick me you know, as the entire, you know, the Second entire level. defense. <laughs> right. Yeah, the entire defense from Montana is great. Another name though that's under the radar: Ryan Brady of Holy Cross. Ah, Fifty-seven right. tackles on the season, eight tackles for loss. He has had a tremendous season. So keep an eye on him as well. Let's move on to the Jerry Rice Award. I'm surprised that you're, you're you know, considering the summer you had cut up uh, cardboard cutout in here. You had the blow up doll. <laughs> Uh, you had the jersey of your favorite, all that you had, all of this in here. And we were talking about your guy from Kennesaw State, surprise Armstrong to make your list. Armstrong is doing what he needs to do, and again, Kennesaw is a dominant team as a as a group. It's it's a, it's a similar thing to what's happened with Keelan Doss. Gotcha. It's more of a you know Kennesaw had on the defense of the ball. Armstrong was a standout last year as a freshman, as one of the Jerry Rice Award, but that Kennesaw team is deep all the way around him. So he doesn't need to, again, doesn't need to make the plays. But you were in here with everything. You had like <laughs> Bryson Armstrong cake, everything. Bryson Armstrong banners around Banners, the uh, like. <laughs> the Bryson Armstrong fan club. Exactly. Let's move on to the Jerry Rice Award, though. And, again, a little bit tougher because with, with freshmen nowadays, and you have the red shirting issues and this, that, and the other thing. I'm going to throw a name out to you, though, that's going to be probably way under the radar. Dev Holmes. I have him. The wide receiver from Albany has been... Very, I mean, this is an Albany team that has really struggled this year. But right. under the radar, he's only got 28 catches, but he's already got 587 yards, four touchdowns. He's averaging 21 yards a catch. He has been an outstanding player for Albany, and it's somebody who they can build around. Yeah, he has four touchdowns. Like you mentioned, I want to say he's the second leading receiver in the nation. I think so, yeah. Right now. So for a freshman, that's impressive. I would also throw out a defensive player in Zamone Robinson of Howard, two and a half sacks. Uh, so far this season, and defense is going to be huge for them. They need it, and for to have a freshman uh, step up is, is going to be huge. I would also look at, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the Black College National Player of the Year awards that are put on by the Black College Football Hall of right. Fame. Jalen Morton, quarterback, Prairie View A&M. Yeah. Obviously, 10 touchdowns, one interception, and played big in big games. Yeah. You know, I would say he would be a candidate, and defensively, Darryl Johnson of A&T, 
uh, defensive lineman has been doing some phenomenal things up front for the Aggies. So Morgan probably could be in that Peyton Award mix as well. Um, Nahari Crawford out of uh, Duquesne could be another guy. So yeah. there's a lot of great players right now in the FCS. We talked about the best teams in, in FCS so far. Who's been the most disappointing team for you? I've got a couple on here, but number one has got to be Furman. Yeah, I, 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 you'd be hard pressed to find someone to disagree with you. I, they have been disappointing, but I would also toss in Austin P. Austin P's definitely in there. I would throw Eastern Illinois. They've been they've fallen completely off, and a team that we thought was going to be decent in the Pioneer Valparaiso yeah. is still winless after they lost to I believe D two opponents this past week. Yeah, Truman State. So shout out to Truman State. But you're right, we had a lot of hype. For Valpo coming into the season, they just they fell flat on their face. Um, you could probably toss in South Dakota, Youngstown State. Yep. There's so many people to, 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 to choose for that award for most disappointing. New Hampshire, granted they have an excuse because they're they've got injuries. Yeah, they got injuries, but my goodness, I mean, Furman is. I mean, Furman. They, I, I thought Furman would win the SoCon. They've been outscored 41 to 122 in three games. I mean. What happened? This was a team that, again, last year, they made the postseason last season. They looked good they last lo- year. They looked like they were going to follow it up with a great year. You predicted them to win the whole thing. I had them, I think, second or third. They they might not even get to 500, and that that's completely shocking. Would Sanford be disappointing as well? They're already 0-2 in, in conference play. Yeah, I would throw them. And the only thing, the reason they're not my most disappointing is because Furman's in the same conference. <laughs> right. So we got to throw that in there. And before we go to the break, Biggest upset four weeks into the season would be what? A&T and Morgan State. Yeah. Like, A&T went went undefeated last year, knocking off an FBS team, two FBS teams, uh, I believe. And this year they knocked off Jacksonville State and uh, East Carolina. Yeah. And it looked as if nobody in the conference would be able to contend with them this year. So Morgan State to do what they did, it kind of went under the radar because mm-hmm. you kind of you saw the score and you're like, all right, well, A&T is just struggling tonight. They'll pull it out. They'll probably win 17-7 or something like that. Right. But you saw Morgan State just slowly fight their way back and ultimately win. My goodness. The other one I'm going to put up there with that, though, Missouri State's thumping of Northern Arizona. That was shocking. Because, again, like the – Morgan State, they've always got a decent defense. So you expected them to maybe keep that tight with an A&T team that's struggling. Still a shock when you have A&T as high ranked as they were. But the way that Morgan State, um, Missouri State, excuse me, ran over Northern Arizona two weeks ago, that was completely unheard of. Especially with, I mean, we know Northern Arizona's got their injury problems as well. But that was, that's right up there. But the Morgan State game is, is, is just about even. You know what? You know what else could be up there? Butler and Youngstown State. <laughs> yeah. That kicked it off. Yeah. <laughs> this whole season has been the Butler did it. Exactly. The Butler did it. <laughs> goodness. So, folks, we're going to take a quick break here. We, again, I told you we had a lot to talk about, didn't I? So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to have our power poll coming up. I will have my four games that I'll be watching for the Telling Trap, Unsung, and Best Game of the Week. And then we will have our preview games that Emery has for us. we got quite a few to get through here. We'll be back after this commercial break. 
So you've been thinking about changing careers. Well, now's the perfect time to check out Connecticut School of Broadcasting. We have nearby campuses in Stratford, Connecticut, Westbury, Long Island, and Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. Almost everything you hear on the radio, everything you see on television and on the internet was made by a creative team of audio and video professionals. Producers, camera operators, sound designers, these are the people who work behind the scenes to make it happen. Connecticut School of Broadcasting can help you switch from your current career path to the more exciting world of audio and video production. We've placed thousands since 1964. Visit GoCSB.com, call 1-800-TV-RADIO, and come in for a studio tour. It's your chance to test drive the same equipment that's used in real radio and television studios, talk to the instructors, and meet other people who share your excitement about the radio and television industry. Listen, if you're ready for a career change, if you like the idea of working behind the scenes, come in and see what a career in broadcasting is like and see if it's right for you. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has nearby campuses in Stratford, Connecticut, Westbury, Long Island, and Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or visit GoCSB.com. Welcome back, folks, to the FCS Opening Drive Podcast, presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting and Football Game Plan. Once again, folks, if you want to listen back on any of our previous podcasts, you can go to SoundCloud or iTunes, search Football Game Plan in the podcast section. Go to YouTube.com slash Football Game Plan for all of your Football Game Plan videos, where Emery goes real in-depth week to week about which games he's going to be looking out for. And don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter as well, at the FCS Kickoff, at FCS Opening Drive, and at FBall Game Plan. Emery, let's go into the second half of the show here, and let's start with our power poll after we hit the quarter mark in the season. We're going to go 10 through 1. We're going to get through this real quick because we got a lot of games to get to, so I'm going to start things off here at number 10. You're going to be a lot of grief for me not putting them in last week, so I'm going to start with UMaine. Obviously got a loss this past week against Central Michigan, but again, another FBS opponent, so that's their second one they faced this year. They've still looked very, very impressive in conference. They've looked impressive overall. I'm putting them at 10. Number 9, Nichols, is up there for me. They've looked very, very strong, getting a nice win over Sam Houston State. Montana at number 8. They are ba- The Grizz are back. The Grizz are definitely back, and they're showing it. This is where I'm going to get in trouble with some people. Number 7, JMU. Have not. They looked great this past week. They're still looking too inconsistent for me, and I think when they start hitting the heavy hitters in the CAA... They could be in trouble, but we'll see where that goes. Number six, Villanova. Solid season the way they started the year. Number five, Illinois State. Going way up in my power rankings, and they could easily be a top ten team, if not a top five team in this week's poll. Kennesaw in at number four. Eastern Washington at number three. South Dakota State number two. North Dakota State number one. Not bad. Not, not bad. bad. <laughs> That's not bad. But it's, not, it's not good. But it's not bad. <laughs> it's not bad. You know, I, I kind of agree with you in, in some of those. I'm going to give you mine. Uh, number 10, Princeton. Mm-hmm. Outstanding football team. Having late eyes on these guys live, just phenomenal play. They're going to score a ton of points this year in the Ivy League. Um, number nine, we have a tie. Rhode Island and Maine. Okay. Both for their for Rhode Island more for offense, Maine more for their defense. Even though they lost to Central Michigan, their defense kept them in the game. They just couldn't get anything going offensively. They could have beaten Central Michigan. So oh, yeah. shout out to Maine, shout out to Rhode Island. Number eight, Sacred Heart. Quietly having an impressive season. Quietly dominating defense. Right? So they are at number eight. Number seven, Colgate. Six, Chattanooga. Five. JMU, okay. So I, I, I think I don't think last week I had JMU in. 
I think you did, but it was pretty low. Pretty, pretty low. Okay, so there are five now. Four, Eastern Washington. Three, Illinois State. They moved up. Yep. Two, McNeese. I'm never losing sight of McNeese playing great defense. And number one, North Dakota State. So wait, wait, wait. No South Dakota State in your on your top ten at all? No. Wow. And this is the, this is the power pole. Oh, I know it's the power pole, but wow. <laughs> yeah, there's a bunch of teams that, you know, Nichols I think highly of that, that just missed a cut. Yeah. You know, I had to throw a tie in there for Rhode Island and Maine. Uh, people will have questions about Princeton and Sacred Heart. I totally get that. Uh, Villanova is not in here. You know. All right. All right. I was shocked that they lost to Towson like that. That That is true. That is true. Let's get into some of our games of the week. Let's start with mine. Let's start with the telling game. I got two telling games okay. of the week. You're going to like both of these, I think. My first one is Northern Alab- North Alabama taking on Campbell. Ooh. This is going to be a fun, fun ball game because North Alabama almost made our list of what happened games because they almost lost this week, but they've looked very solid. Campbell, though. They're turning into a class in the Big South, so it's really this is going to be an interesting judgment of see of okay, Campbell's in the conference, North Alabama's moving in. How ready are they? The other telling game I've got here is Maine at Yale, because we've had some question marks about Yale the first right. couple of weeks. They lost their first game after blowing a massive lead to Holy Cross. They barely got past Cornell. If they're actually going to be the top team in the Ivy, this is a game we're gonna we're gonna see how good they really are because Maine again this is a game that Maine the way they've played so far should win should shout should. out to <laughs> shout out to uh, my man Dalton Banks quarterback at Cornell for not throwing an interception yeah so yeah. that's why that game was close I've got two trap games as well this week Montana hosting Cal Poly because again never sleep on the option team Ever. You just gave their entire defense the Buck Buchanan Award. Exactly why this is a trap game. <laughs> the other game, Towson hosting the Citadel. Now, we've been singing the praises again of Towson. Tom Flacco, he, they've been outstanding. We just saw what the Citadel was able to do against Mercer. What a letdown for Mercer, man. <laughs> we got this marquee win. We're going to be a big and upcoming program. Citadel. No. <laughs> just get out of here with that. Um... The unsung game of this week is in the CAA. Villanova at Stony Brook. Could be a massive game. Huge. With how Villanova, again, that loss to Towson is hurting. Stony Brook, though, looking impressive again. We, we, if all the teams that were up at the high of the CAA last year, I think a lot of people expected Stony Brook to be the one to kind of fall off. Maybe Elon, but I think a lot of people predicted Stony Brook. They've looked really, really strong. So that's going to be a very interesting ball game to watch. And the t- I got two really great games out west. Obviously, the South Dakota State versus North Dakota State is going to get all the headlines. That could be a one versus two matchup. Dakota we don't know. marker game. Dakota marker game, revenge game for the Bison. But Eastern Washington, Montana State is going to be a tremendous ball game. And that's really going to decide who's the power in the big sky. Yeah, and we have a lot of these games on our that I'm going to preview on the FCS kickoff videos that will be coming out this week. But you have a you have a lot of good intriguing games and matchups. I like the picks for your telling, your upset. I'm not upset, but trap game, and um, you know all the games you've chosen are, are real good. I I have no problems with with any of them. I've gotten the approval of the czar. This is a good thing. Good job. You did a good. <laughs> you, you did a good thing. <laughs> it's 
it's about damn time. Anyway, let's move on to the Week 5 preview. we got a lot of games to talk, talk about here. And it's another one in the CAA that you've gotten highlighted here to start with. And that we, we've, we've seen what's happened to UNH. They're 0-3. They've got Elon this week. How critical is this game for both teams? It's critical because Elon barely got past last week. They nearly lost that one, which was huge because, again, I kind of figured Elon would take a step back this year. And Charleston Southern came out there and played inspired ball and nearly beat them. Right. And you would have to expect a team like UNH with a lot of pride to come in there and look to try to grab this win. So I would say that game is just intriguing from a must-win standpoint for Elon more so than New Hampshire. Well, UNH goes into this game knowing they have only one game that's a margin of error because they can lose this game and then win the last seven and then get in somehow. No, no, we've seen that so, before, right. So we'll see what happens with UNH, but this is going to be a – Again, this is a step-up game for UNH. Next one on here, it's a, uh, a regional game for us up here in the uh, New York metropolitan area. Wagner taking on Monmouth. A lot of question marks in this ball game that are going to have to turn into periods, and, and we're going to have to see who, who answers the questions. Yeah, Monmouth is coming off an embarrassing loss to Princeton. Wagner is coming off an embarrassing loss themselves where they really just couldn't throw the football. Yeah. You know, and so I the way with the way – both conferences are shaking out. It's going to be tough to get in that large bid if yep. you're either one. Yep. If you're Monmouth, you can't afford another loss. No. Um, no. You know because you only have you have your conference play coming up. So Monmouth still has the 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 fact that they haven't played a conference game yet. No one in the Big South has played a conference game yet. So yeah. they're two and two out of conference. If they can get to three and two, that's huge because they can still go go into conference in the Big South and run a table. For Wagner, I mean, we just talked about <laughs> Sacred Heart playing great. Bryant has all the offense. Duquesne is still Duquesne. So Wagner at one and three, they will have to do a lot of damage in conference. So they can't afford another loss. And if they can get on a run and win the conference and, and you know, have that run as the last thing the committee sees, it's going to be huge for them getting – into the playoffs, uh, but that's a this is a huge game for both teams. Let's move to the MEAC now. South Carolina State taking on North Carolina NT. This game is on Thursday, by the way, on ESPNU. This is going to be a massive gut check for North Carolina NT. This might be the game where they have to make some hard decisions about their starting eleven on offense. This could be. I mean, this could. Be, if there's any chance for South Carolina State to get a win in conference, this might be it. Right, and so this is one of those things that can go either way. Does A&T let last week's loss become two? A, yep, become two, become a loss against South Carolina State, or do they allow last week's loss to serve as motivation to come out and just pound South Carolina State? Right, and realize, hey, we're not invincible, and they come out and play their best ball, their best ball of the season. So I'm intrigued with this one because it can go either way. Intriguing game out west, independent North Dakota. We were singing their praises after last week, too, and they dropped the ball. They lose to Idaho State. This week they've got Northern Colorado, who is 0-4, but in another universe they could be easily 4-0. This team has been outstanding defensively. They gave Weber a test up until you know through the first half last week. They could easily be at least 2-2. Two two. This team is much better than the record. Could be a tough test for North Dakota. Yeah, they could have beaten McNeese in the opener. So you're right. This is an intriguing game because what a letdown last week for Mercer and North Dakota. Yeah. You know, to lose to Idaho State, do they have another letdown? And does North Northern Colorado get off the mat 
and get the victory. So I, I'm interested to see this game and, and how they respond because you're right. Northern Colorado is not a bad 0-4 team. Absolutely not. So this one could be interesting, and it could be a big win for, for Northern Colorado. And it could be a nice little uh, momentum builder because after that they have UC Davis, Portland State, Northern Arizona, and Southern Utah. And those get on a four, run. Those are four games that are easily winnable for Northern Colorado. They might be in too deep a hole already to make the postseason, but certainly can get some, uh, get some respect back for sure. Um, let's move on to the next one here. Central Arkansas versus Sam Houston State. Talk about question marks in this ball game, because nobody expected Central Arkansas to be as good as they are. Nobody expected Sam Houston State to be as bad as they are this at this point in the season. Which team is which is a real? Which is an apparition, or is it both true? This is a must win for Sam Houston. Oh, it's a, it, yeah. they're at critical mass right now. This is must <laughs> yeah. win territory for Sam Houston. Central Arkansas has no pressure on them. Because like you said, many didn't expect them to be this good this season, yeah. considering all the losses. But they have done a great job. They're right in the mix of the Southern Conference, and they have a chance to put proverbially the death nail in the coffin of Sam Houston State. So we may see probably the best game of the Southland Conference this weekend as both teams will be looking to make statements. Exactly, and, and you talk about the Sam Houston State. They could be and start one and three, That's and zero and two. Of. That puts them up there with that puts them down there with Houston Baptist. Yeah, that's not what they're supposed to be. <laughs> Youngstown State versus Western Illinois is the next game, and again, talk about a critical game for both programs in the Missouri Valley. But Youngstown's in desperation mode at this point. I feel like we haven't seen Youngstown State play in like five weeks. Yeah, exactly. You know, it feels like they haven't played in, in since they lost to Butler. You know, it's like, you know, we just go, we're going to chill out until we figure everything out. We go pause the season till we figure everything out first. So it feels like they haven't played in forever, but this is a big game because it's their first conference game and they can quickly turn things around. They're only yes. one and two. Yeah, exactly. You know, yes, they have a bad loss against Butler and they lost to Pitt, I believe, or West Virginia. So this is a team that can still make the playoffs. They, yeah. they got to make some noise in, in conference. And, and we know how much stock a lot of the, the voters and pollsters put in the Missouri Valley Conference. So if they get on a nice little run here in conference, then we will forget the bad Butler loss. So that's why I believe this is a big game for both teams because this, this is both of their first conference game. Interesting game. Another game in the MEAC, Norfolk State. We talked about them. They're, they might turn out to be the class of this conference, potentially, if North Carolina A&T continues to struggle. They've got an interesting game, though, with Delaware State. Um, this is their fourth, uh, third home game out of their first four games, so they've been uh, very fortunate there. What can we see from this ballgame? Is this going to be a telling game for Norfolk State? It's one of those games that you, it could be a trap game. It should, it's a should win. Right, because Delaware State's defense is non-existent. And so if you're Norfolk State, you can't already crown yourself MEAC champs, right? right? You can't be watching the scoreboard and say, okay, Bethune lost, Howard you know, may have taken a loss earlier in the season. Uh, A&T just got upset. We should be in play, but you still have to take care of business on the field. So that's why I'm interested to see how they take the field against Delaware State in a game they should win and should win big. Norfolk State's defense has been impressive this season. Very. Uh, like I said before, big Latrell Scott fan, the head coach over there at Norfolk State, they've done a great job, and it's just continuing to make things very interesting at the top of the MEAC. So this one, which we thought we thought the MEAC would be easy pickings, like okay, oh, yeah, all that the way. Was simple. We we pictured the SWAC being what it is this year, you know, a convoluted, 
gumbo of, of chaos. Nice. But you like that, right? <laughs> but you look at the MEAC, and now we have Norfolk, FAMU, Howard, uh, Morgan State is one of the conference. A&T still there. Bethune is still good, too. So, and, and Central hasn't played a game in conference yet. So this is a big game for Norfolk State. Massive game for sure. Let's move on to another one. And you talked about Colgate being one of the top teams that have been playing so far through four weeks. They're at William & Mary. This is going to be a really good test to see where they are. Again, William & Mary struggled last year in the CAA. They're kind of on a downturn at this point. They looked decent this season. They haven't looked bad. Now Colgate gets to see, all right, if we're playing a CAA team, where do we stack up? Right, because I think Colgate is moonlighting as a CAA team. They're, they're <laughs> built like one, um, you know, because they have defense. They have solid offensive line. They run the football. They play great defense. So uh, they are built like what you would expect a CAA team. William Mary just got blown out last week against JMU. And, you know, it's a good barometer test for Colgate to see, hey, where we are as a program. When a team is down, you want to keep them down. They can't allow the tribe to get off the mat, so to speak, and try to uh, get things right in this game. So I'm interested to see them travel, take care of business, and get back up to Hamilton, New York. And they get a, and then they go into their conference schedule. They got Bucknell, uh, Georgetown. They have an Ivy League game with Cornell, by the way. Here's a question, though, for before we go to our next game, hypothetically, they had a game against Furman that was canceled on September 15th. They were looking forward to that game, too. If, if that game is played, are we talking about 0-4 Furman, 4-0 Colgate? I don't know. <laughs> because, <laughs> or, well, or now we're going to be the game that Furman was supposed to be like, okay, now we can recover. But see, that's the thing. Now we have the benefit of hindsight and looking at this Furman team juxtaposed to when they would have played. Because Furman was coming off a game right. against Clemson. Right. And this was a huge game. And so it may be a mm. fortunate accident that it got canceled, but I still think Colgate probably would have found a way to win that game. <laughs> That's crazy to me. Talk about, this is another game. I was going to have it as our telling game. Samford at Kennesaw. What has happened at Samford with Devlin Hodges, I don't know. But he's going into a hornet's nest in South Georgia, taking on Kennesaw State, who's looked as dominant as anybody in the FCS this season. This is going to tell us a whole lot, and it, this could be the end of Samford's chances for a playoff spot this, this I'm week. I'm glad you teed it up that way because I was about to say, it's like a boxer, the old video game, the old Mike Tyson punch on when the guy is wobbly <laughs> and you, you oh, one more punch will knock him out. This is that game. Sanford is wobbling right now, and yeah. they're, they're, they're staggering. They can't get their sets up to, to swing. Kennesaw, we know, has the ultimate knockout punch in the option attack. Right. They could literally put Sanford away for the season. So this is a must win for Sanford. Let's move on to a game we, I mentioned as one of my trap games, Cal Poly versus Montana. What are you going to be watching in this game? Because as we said, this you have a very strong second level for Montana. Option on the other side of the ball where you need to have that solid second level. It's going to be strength versus strength in this matchup. Could be very interesting to watch. And the reason why I put this one down as a game to watch is because when you're, when you're playing against a great defense like Cal Poly, we'll be playing against the option is usually the big equalizer. Right. So I want to see from a discipline standpoint how committed to the assignment will Montana be to get the victory, to get stops. We saw this this past weekend with Army and Oklahoma. Yep. All the athletes on defense for Oklahoma, but couldn't stay disciplined enough to stop the option attack, and Army should have won that game. They should have. So I think this is one where Montana's defensive second level will have to remain disciplined, don't try to be a hero, and that's what I'll be looking for and see how they play the option, and can those great athletes that the Grizzly, Grizzlies have on defense be disciplined enough to get stops, put the ball back in the hands of Dalton Sneed in that offense. 
We've got not one, but two games featuring the Pioneer League here to finish things up. And we're going to start with Davidson at Valpo. Now, this is interesting. Now, Davidson's 3-1. and one. Right. On paper. Great. Who did they beat? Brevard College, Joan Guilford College. They played Dayton last week and lost 42-21. Is this going to be a really telling game for, for Davidson? Exactly. Because they started out that Dayton game 14-0. So it's like, okay. Davidson. We're they, putting up 90 again. Exactly. We'll and do Dav- it again. And Davidson looks real. But mm. Dayton came back and, and, and won that game in impressive fashion. So this is a game you would expect a Davidson team that wants to be taken seriously in the Pioneer League to win. Right. And, you know, the Pioneer League is probably a lot like the Patriot League, a lot like, uh, you know, the OVC where you have little room for error as far as losses are concerned. Right. It's not like the Southland CAA or Missouri Valley where you can lose a couple games and still find your way in the playoffs. The, there's no at-large bid coming from the Pioneer League. No. You know, so you really have to run the table and win the conference. And I think this is a game that could put them back on the right track. And you hope uh, Dayton could lose a couple and so therefore there's no tiebreaker. But right. if you're Davidson and you want to see how far you've come as a program, yes, beating Chowan and all these other schools are great. It's great for morale, great to get those victories and, and have those kids, you know, taste success. But success comes from beating teams that are on your equal footing in conference, and it starts by beating a team like Valpo. And with the Pioneer League, that is more competitive this year than I think most years. San Very. Diego, San Diego, obviously is still I think the top, but Butler's got a quality win. You've talked about Stetson is three and zero. How is that possible? Um, but it it really is open. And let's talk about the last game here. We talked about Dayton coming off that nice win to get back to two and two over Davidson. They now have Marist away. Tough ball game. Marist is is winless. But, again, Dayton is one of these teams that normally is at the top of the Pioneer. They were down the last season or so. Now they're on their way back up. This will be a big game for them. Yeah, Marist looked bad out of conference. But last week in their loss, they lost 19-14. to Right. So, you know, they can compete. And that's what it's, what's going to be interesting because if, David's, or if, or I'm sorry, if Dayton loses this game or drops this game, now you really kind of sort of eliminate yourself not yeah. you know from the Pioneer League. Now, granted, Mara's lost to undefeated Stetson. <laughs> say that. Say that again. Undefeated Stetson, who has a senior <laughs> bowl prospect, a senior bowl watch list guy at tight end down a part. We talked about him before. Yep. Six nine two thirty five. He has he, he scores a touchdown every week. You know, and I guess when yeah. you're six nine two thirty five, you're a tough matchup. You're going to score a touchdown. So add him to that Peyton Award list as well too for for a guy that's playing outstanding football. But Drake is good. Uh, Jacksonville's run game is, is going to be stout. This is a big game because they have to come out and dominate. Definitely. Before we go, do you have a headline that you predict? At We get up, wake up Sunday morning, we get our FCS newspaper that is non-existent. We open it up, and the headline at the end of week five is... Chaos in the FCS. That has been the only consistent <laughs> thing we've seen all season, right? That, that's that's like watching Trump news today. It's just like, <laughs> well, there's Trump over here. What else is happening in the world? There must be something else. But, okay, so just you're, you're predicting even more chaos than we saw there's this gonna week? Be, there's going to be some more chaos. <sighs> See, I, I'm going to go a little bit more specific, and I'm going to stick to my claim. Mm-hmm. The best team in the FCS right now, for me, is South Dakota State. Right. Jackrabbits jack up bison. Ah. I'm predicting for the second consecutive year, and we should have learned this by now because we picked three times now collectively against North Dakota State and failed every time. But I am predicting again (laughs) that the Dakota marker will stay 
in South Dakota. South Dakota State wins the ball game. You know what? That's that's not that's not a bad pick. Um, there's a couple of games I can't wait to talk about and break down in the FCS kickoff videos because there are some good matchups. You notice if if our listeners notice when we do our game previews, we probably pick maybe five to six games, and we save the bulk of the good games for uh, the kickoff video. Exactly. But there were so many good games on the schedule that we had to talk about a lot more here yeah. in the preview, and still have a lot more to cover. In the video. And it's not even week 10 or week 9. Right. It's week 5. What? Did, by the time we get to the end of this, we're just going to be in a corner, just kind of like with a microphone. What happened? Right. I don't know what happened anymore. Just rocking back and forth. It's going to be fun, man. It's going to be. this. I mean, this is turning into an awesome FCS season. Again, check out footballgameplan.com. Go to youtube.com slash footballgameplan for the preview videos. Emery will have that going up in the next couple of days. So you have all the knowledge you need. When you go crazy over the weekend, it's going to be fine. Just breathe. Thanks for listening in, folks. We'll see you again next week. But first, Emery, where are you going to be? Exactly. Uh, <laughs> the man I, needs to get his shout-out. I have two broadcasts this week, but there is, ironically enough, none are the FCS. So Thursday night, I have East Stroudsburg, Millersville. Ah, a little PSAC action. PSAC action, ESPN3. And Saturday, I have... Westchester versus Shippensburg. Nice. ESPN3. But in between, I have two scouting duties that also involve the FCS. So we have Friday night, Princeton, Columbia. I will be at that game. That's going to be fun. And after my broadcast on Saturday, I will be at Central Connecticut State and Lafayette. Interesting. Interesting ball games. And if you see Emory... Feel free to go up and say hi. He's yeah, you guys listen to the show. Feel free to say hi. I'm a nice guy. He's a, he's around. He he'll, he might stop by your tailgate and steal all your food. But other than that, he's a nice guy. <laughs> Again, folks, thanks for listening in. You can listen to this all on demand on SoundCloud and iTunes. We'll see you back if we survive week five. Thanks for listening in. <laughs>